Sunday with Miriam on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by BlackRock Health, providing patients with world-class clinical care and comfort, enabling swifter recoveries. Well, my first guest sitting opposite me this morning was over a decade ago charged with overseeing how we'd mark the centenary of major events in our country's history, including the Easter Rising in 1916, the War of Independence and the Civil War. With the centenary of some of the most brutal and horrific attacks to be marked in the coming months, and as we approach the end of the decade of centenaries, I'm joined now by Dr. Morris Manning, Chair of the Expert Advisory Group on Commemorations. Morris, thanks so much for being with me this morning. Thanks, Miriam. Nice to be here. Yeah, fascinating role you've had. Listen, take us back. Tell me a little about how you came to be running this expert advisory group and when it was first set up. Well, could I say at the beginning, it wasn't (laughs) just me. There was an excellent committee there. Martin Mansell was the vice chair. He was superb. And a committee of really good historians. It began, I think, that the then Taoiseach, in an actual deed of foresight, he reckoned he had seen what had happened in 1966 when the half-centenary commemorations had been totally politicised and only focused on one aspect of our history. He wanted the decade to belong to the people. He didn't want government interference or political interference of any sort. So he set up this committee, which I chaired, to guide the government and I suppose the country through the decade and we didn't know any more than anybody else. That was Enda Kenny, of course. Enda Kenny, yes, indeed. And uh, we began in typical Irish style with a row. Uh, (laughs) One of our members, John A. Murphy, lately deceased and wonderful person whom I really wanted on, he had a row at the first meeting and left. But otherwise, (laughs) it's the same committee has been there. And we sadly, just the other day, lost Eamon Phoenix, who was a wonderful member. Eamon, gentle, very... Uh, modest, passionate historian, one of the few historians in Northern Ireland whose bona fides were accepted by all sides. And he was a great loss and he made a huge contribution. But anyway, we we decided, first of all, we needed guiding principles. We needed to know a framework. So we put together the sort of principles we felt which had to underline everything or underlie everything that happened in the decade. And, you know, we could go through them, but... There were two particular ones, authenticity, that everything that was commemorated had to be authentic. There wasn't going to be any state view or propaganda. It was the truth and the people were entitled to the truth about their own history. And the second was inclusivity, because in 1966, there was only one version and huge numbers of people were left out. Now, suddenly, people are beginning to realise people had moved on. People were often ahead of the politicians in this. They had moved on. And suddenly you had people talking about the hundreds of thousands of Irish in the First World War, people of the old um, Parnellite tradition who, in a sense, had home rule snatched from them (laughs) at the last minute, Uh, the minorities, the ex-unionists, Um, and others, um, maybe some of the new Irish coming in. So there were, well, they weren't excluded because they weren't there in the past, but groups that had been excluded in in, in previous commemorations, we wanted to be inclusive. So we drew up our guidelines, a framework, and it was accepted. And I think that people in government found it very useful because the rules were laid down. And I think civil servants like to have certainty and guidelines and so on. So we published that. And then we began to hold meetings around the country in the early days, Martin Mansour and myself in particular. 
Uh, and, and I realised, and it struck me very vividly in Thurlis on a dark winter evening public meeting, and I saw a lot of what I would regard as old IRA people coming in. I said, oh God, it's going to be more of the same. But no, suddenly I realised people who ha- whose family had died in the First World War, people from the Unionist Protestant tradition, all had their say. And what struck me was the respect and the space they got. Mm-hmm. And I suddenly realised... I think the country is changing. We're ready to listen to other points of view. And that's been one of the most glorious things of the last 10 years, all of the the focus on those who had been excluded up to now. Yeah, no, and it's run very smoothly. So kudos to you for that. I mean, I think the only one was really, I suppose, the treatment and the memory of the dead of the RIC and and everything that happened around that. Yeah, that's right. Look, you couldn't do a history of the last 10 years without mentioning the RIC. The RIC were a hugely important part of Irish life. And we knew how divisive it was and how passionate on on both sides. And we had proposed that there would be uh, a major, uh, which we put a lot of emphasis during the decade on, uh, on conferences and on exploring of saying, well, what actually happened? Let's look at the facts. Let's look at the history of it. And we had proposed that the RIC be included in a major commemoration on policing and the founding of the Garda Shield Corner. And so, unfortunately, these things, it's always the, I use a polite word, the whatever ending with up factor that that, that happens, it happened in this t- thing. A very small, almost private ceremony, which was to take place in the, the uh, graveyard in Dublin Castle, where XRIC was scheduled for just before Christmas, Market came along, so it was postponed. Then it came in January and somebody lost the run of themselves and decided it was a national event and sent out invitations all over the country. It was never intended to be Mm. that. But suddenly, once you're explaining and defending, you've (laughs) lost. The sad thing about it was that the RIC will be remembered this coming year at a major symposium on policing and that that will take place later this year. There'll be an, an academic paper and a discussion on them. Uh, uh, the the other thing was that it unleashed a lot of sort of atavistic stuff that maybe we thought had gone away. And it was a salutary reminder mm-hmm. that that wasn't the case. But it happened. Uh, it was unfortunate there was a general election on it, became weaponized in the election. But that's what happened there. And I suppose then in regards to the other big commemorations, Mars, I suppose the Easter Rising, the War of Independence, they were relatively straightforward. But marking the centenary of the Civil War, which, you know, saw such an appalling campaign of terror and brutality on both sides, commemorating that, it's more complex, isn't it? Absolutely. It is difficult. Look, civil wars are really brutal things. They're the worst sort of war. And we're not alone in this. I mean, our civil war was short and relatively few died. No, one death was too many. But uh, I mean, Spain, it, it had a civil war of the most barbaric awfulness. I mean, you can't even begin to imagine what Spaniards did to each other. And all these years on, Spain can't come to terms with this civil war. Um, likewise, the French can't come to terms with what they, happened to them in the Second World War with the massive collaboration and so on. So countries have difficulties. And the Civil War was a brutal and at times a barbaric affair. And terrible things were done. 
And I, I'll come back to these in a moment, but I, I was very lucky in the 1960s. I was a young historian working on my first book. And I got an opportunity to talk to many of the survivors of the Civil War. There were Many of them were in politics and they included people like Sean Lamas, mm-hmm. Richard Mulcahy, Ernest Blythe, um, Frank Aiken, all of these. And I was a brash young historian. And whenever I mentioned the Civil War, there was silence. They didn't want to talk about it. And that generation didn't. And there was nothing ignoble about that silence. I think they all realised. And on the one hand, you had a government, a properly elected government, charged with setting up the state. All of its members were under sentence of death. One of its TDs had been shot. Others had been shot at. Their houses had been burned. There was anarchy in the country. Uh, they, They were charged with making the state work. The barracks were still full of British soldiers. If, mm. if the state had collapsed then, suddenly the Irish would have failed at the first attempt at statehood. And they took the view that salus rex, or that the, the safety of the people, salus public, the safety of the people is the supreme law. And terrible things were done, barbaric things were done that can't be justified and couldn't be justified. On the other hand, you've had the anti-treatyites who were burning houses, shooting, who were destroyed determined to destroy the state. That's what the Civil War, that's what it was. It was a terrible time, a a moment of madness. And one of the wisest things, in my view, that happened after the Civil War, that W.T. Cosgrave passed, or his government, passed an act giving an amnesty to all sides in the Civil Mm. War. Unlike Spain, where Franco's people hunted down their opponents for decades afterwards and uh, brutalised and all of that, we, at the beginning, now it probably wouldn't work today, there'd be calls for a truth commission and so on, but it worked. And we went into our shell. People went into their shells after the Civil War. So we have to come to terms with that. And we said at the outset, nothing can be held back. All the archives should be opened. It should be discussed. The truth be told. And then people can make up their own minds. That the state doesn't have to take a view, but the people be allowed to make up their own minds. And I was very struck, Miriam, if I go back to the War of Independence, and we were worried about how it would be happened. And the people of Solohad Beg set a great example. That was the first. And there were attempts to politicise the event. Mm. And the locals said, no, this is our event. We're going to do it our way. And they invited along relatives of the dead IC men and they made it a community thing. And right across the country, what we've seen is local groups taking charge of their local things. And in Kerry next spring, there will mm. be a major conference on the civil war. We have supported it. Our group has supported that because we believe there was a major conference brilliantly run in UCC last June on the civil war, where every aspect of the civil war, there were about, I don't know how many speakers there were, but we said uh, well, it was ring fence, the UCC organisers mm. who did a great job. They said, we're open to everybody. Oh, let us tell the truth, get it out there. And when you mentioned, obviously, Ballyseedy, that's what will be happening in the spring. And <clears throat> my own dad was from North Kerry, but I was struck yesterday, even Morris, reading Keith Duggan's interview in the Irish Times yeah. with the son, Pawdy Fuller, of his dad was with the one surviving, you know, member yeah. of that group of nine. And I was reading and just thinking... How did we end up being so savage to each other? It's a very frightening thing how close under the surface Mm. savagery is. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a lesson. It happens. It's happened in. I mean, if we look at the Baltic, the the the, the Balkan countries at, at at the moment. We 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 look. Ukraine, wherever we look, I mean, that sort of savagery is only barely Mm. kept in check. And I always regard the civil war as that terrible moment of madness in our history where people got caught up, did terrible things. And then there was a sort of a stopping. And I think people realised maybe what they had done or been privy to or supported or whatever it was. That's why... There, there is what I call the great silence. Yeah, it. you never want to talk. And I suspect about your father didn't talk much about. That. No, 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 horrible times. They all wanted to forget. Interestingly, I know that you're envisaging one significant state commemoration. You know, will be held in remembrance of everyone who lost their life in the civil war. Is that going to happen? How do you plan something like that? Yeah, that that's one where I I, I have concerns. It will happen. There mm. will be one major ceremony. Uh, I, I mean, it needs to be. I think it needs to be quite a dramatic thing. Mm. I had hoped, and I was overruled by everybody, that maybe the the plinth, the 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 the, in Leinster, the cenotaph mm. in Leinster House, which was dedicated to Griffith Collins and Kevin O'Higgins, and it's 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 a one sided. It's the you know, thing that that might become the uh, memory in the heart of Parliament to all who'd fallen in the Civil War. But I was overruled by everybody on that. Uh, um, and they, I know that the government is working. The, and I have to say that the, the civil servants in the Department of Arts have been wonderful. They've been enthusiastic and they've been imaginative and you know they've been really supportive of everything. And it's what normally you think of civil servants saying no. Mm. These are people who can't stop saying yes. They're <laughs> great. But um, I, I know they're working very hard on something that will be appropriate uh, and it will happen. It must be a real... By the way, the idea is that it be a memorial of remembrance and reconciliation. Okay. It must be a joy and a privilege for you here sitting opposite me as an historian, in in a sense to have been overseeing all of these events, these important commemorations. I mean, it must be... Have you really enjoyed it? Absolutely. It's wonderful. And there's some great things. I mean... The local authorities have been wonderful and suddenly the cultural officers there and they're wonderful people. They're doing great work. Local history societies are involved. There's been a huge, uh, the opening of the archives, there's been a huge amount of publication with some great young historians and young women historians. And I think we we have probably the best generation of historians ever. So it's great. Do you think the visit, now obviously it was before this committee was up and running of, you know, Queen Elizabeth II here to us in 2011. Do you think that helped prepare the ground for all these commemorations, I suppose, her willingness in a sense to concede while she was here that the past was very much a contested idea? Ah, yeah, it was it, it was a wonderful moment. We can claim no credit for that. <laughs> but uh, it, 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 was, it, it was a wonderful moment. It, it was symbolic rather than uh, do, doing anything in reality, but it was. And especially on the earlier events commemorating aspects of the Great War, of the First World War, there was a huge amount of cooperation between our people, our government, and those in Northern Ireland and in the UK itself on these events. Now, sadly... The well, COVID had a terrible effect on it, on, mm. on on everything. Um, that slowed up a lot of things. Uh, there hasn't been the same level 
of cooperation with, say, our northern friends over the last while, mm-hmm. a, a partly a reflection on the political paralysis in the north, that there's there's no executive, there's nobody to, to deal with. Although I work fairly closely with Paul View, who chairs mm-hmm. the, the northern equivalent of our committee, but we didn't do nearly as much as we might have. Yeah, well, you've achieved so much in this, Dr. Morris Manning, Chair of the Expert Advisory Group and Commemorations. Thanks so much for all your work for us and thanks so much for coming in this morning to the studio to speak to me. Thanks, Miriam. It's a pleasure. Thank Mind you. yourself. We'll take a break. Tweet at Miriam O'Call. And just some text as well, going back to Morris Manning. What an absolute pleasure it was, Jer says, to listen to Morris Manning speaking so authoritatively on a troubled history on this Sunday morning. Thanks so much to him. And another says, great to hear Morris Manning on the show, a person with a tremendous capacity to see different perspectives.